Turn back now to the Old Testament and to the book of Psalms and chapter 45. And we can read at verse number 2. Psalm 45 at verse number 2. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore God has blessed you forever. And so on. Now in our 12 noon service we're looking at the way in which Peter is calling upon the wives to submit themselves to their husbands and we also notice the way in which Peter is calling upon husbands to live with their wives with understanding and knowledge and knowing how they should love their wives as Christ loved the church. We saw the way in which marriage is corrupted by humankind down through the generations and the way in which marriage was redeemed by Christ Jesus when he died on the cross and so that in the Bible we understand marriage through the lens of the cross of Jesus Christ. We come to look at this psalm and we see from its title that it is a song of the sons of Korah and we see also in the title that it is a love song and the title and the words show to us that here is a psalm, a song about marriage between a king and a daughter who is coming into his presence to be part of the royal home and the songs of Korah they had responsibilities at the temple one of which was to be amongst the musicians who who helped to make the, the worship of God to, to lift it up in the sense of being there and, and leading and ministering at the temple. And they are singing this song in the very presence of God. And we read through the psalm and we see that there is that marriage, that there is the procession of the bride. We see that Solomon son of David, who is marrying Pharaoh's daughter, we see that having built a house, that, that, that they are going to live in the royal residence. All of these things have history, but all of them also have a message about Jesus and the church, the people of God, a message of his relationship with them, a message of how they are come, come to follow him and a message as to how he is preparing his bride to be in the royal paradise that God has prepared for his people. And so tonight we want to, to look at maybe the first part of the psalm and to see the way in which here we have a message, a song that is really about Christ and the church. And we want to think of the faith of the people of God and the irresistible Christ. I want to see, first of all, that there is a profession. Tonight, if I'm a child of God, I've got something to say and something to say that is specific and something to say like this writer 
whose heart is overflowing with that pleasing theme. There is something exciting going on in our hearts. And arising from that, there is a song. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. What is the writer going to do? What is the pleasant theme? What is the song? It is a profession, first of all, about the beauty of the appearance of the king. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. You, the king, whom this bride is going to marry. From the whole of humankind, you are the most handsome. We'll read down through the Old Testament and it clearly is a theme that God's king is handsome. David was ruddy, he had beautiful eyes, he was handsome. We see that the places that belong to God, they are beautiful also. In Psalm number 48, the holy mountain of God is beautiful in its elevation. God's king is filled with beauty, beautiful appearance. The place in which she dwells is a place of beauty. And that kind of beauty is one that is without comparison. Tonight, if if I'm the child of God, I survey everyone and I survey everything and I find nothing that compares to the beauty that I find in the person of the Son of God, who is God's King, who has become my Saviour. And it is remarkable, of course, that, that that's how I see the glory of Christ, that I look at his face that I cannot see. As Peter says, whom having not seen we love, but we look at his face and we see his face in his word. And when we look at his face, there is no one like him. He is stunningly beautiful. And every chord of my heart that knows anything about loving an object outside of myself, every chord of my heart reaches out and embraces Christ in all of his beauty. And if that is happening tonight, it is explained only because of the grace of God. We read in Isaiah chapter 53 that that song about Jesus, the Son of God, the servant of Jehovah. He shall grow up like a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or majesty that I should look at him. He has no beauty that I should desire him. What a great transformation. And we know tonight in our estimation of the Lord Jesus, we know if we are the children of God or not. I either see him as a root out of dry ground, that there is no beauty in him that I should desire him, or I see him as the one who is altogether lovely and beautiful. And you in your heart of hearts can answer tonight what you think, or what do you think, of Jesus Christ, 
the Son of God, the Saviour of sinners. Loving Jesus because of his beauty. Isaiah speaks in chapter 33 about the people of God that our eyes shall behold the king in his beauty. It's simply a characteristic of the children of God. And when this son of Korah is writing this song and addressing the king, he is telling the, the bride, this is how you must truly see him. You are the most beautiful. And, and there, there is such a sense of sincerity and of reality that's found in the way in which the expression is given. I can say that I love the Lord Jesus and tell other people that. But when I turn to him and, and say to him, you are the most handsome of the sons of men, that's real, that's experiential, that comes from the depths of your being and it's personal between you and him. And your profession as the child of God has to move from the place where you are saying that he is beautiful to come to the closeness of fellowship with him where you are saying to him, you are the most handsome among the children of men. And that's the step that faith takes from desiring the Lord Jesus to coming to the place of knowing him and knowing him seeing him as everything, the beauty of his appearance. What do you think tonight? How does he look to you? How do you see him? Is he worth a second glance? Is he worth your life? Is he worth your heart? Is he worth everything? Or is he worth nothing? The profession, the beauty of his appearance. There is also the profession about the beauty of his words. Grace is poured in your lips or from your lips. Grace. Grace that, that in many ways is the heartbeat of God for a sinful world. The grace that, that moves from God's heart and that touches those who are in need. Moses was, was praying in Exodus chapter 33. If I have found favour in your sight, if I have found grace, please show me your glory. And he prays, show me your ways that I may know you. And God answers his prayer, I will make all my goodness pass before you. All that I have in my heart, is, I will show it to you. And then in the following chapter, we, we see the way in which the Lord came. The Lord, the Lord God is a God who is merciful and who is gracious. Moses prayed for the glory of God. He prayed because of the favour of God in his life. 
He wanted to see and he wanted to hear. Behold, the Lord, the Lord God is a merciful and gracious God. And there in, in that revelation given to Moses, we have the greatest statement about the character of God in the whole of the Bible. And here the psalmist is, the songwriter is saying, Grace is poured upon your lips. We can think of grace pouring from his lips. I take a, a, a container and, and I, I, I turn it over and flowing from it is all of the fush of the liquid that comes if it's a hot day with the cold refreshing liquid of, of the cold water. It falls down upon me. But here, the image is not of refreshing water. It is of refreshing words. I look at the Lord Jesus and I see him in all of his beauty. But oh my goodness, when he begins to speak, there is a beauty that emerges that I had never thought of before. And that's who Jesus was when, when, when he lived his life in the world. Where did this man get this wisdom from? We have never heard anyone speaking like this man. And here he is, the king who is going to marry this bride. And as soon as he opens his mouth to speak, her love and his love reaches a new level. And so, for the child of God tonight, the beauty is truly discovered. The attraction is truly found when we come to hear the word of God. If I have a desire tonight for the grace that brings salvation, if I long to belong to the children of God, I will long to hear the word of God. The grace that pours from his lips. And every word is as if it were the whole heart of God coming down upon me. Showering down into my heart, my mind, into my life. The precious words of the Lord Jesus. Our heart being filled with a sense of joy at the things that he says. That's what we have in verse 1. My, my heart overflows with a pleasing thing. I address my verses to the king. The sense of his words being sweeter than honey to the taste. The psalmist speaks in Psalm 103 of the, Psalm 119 at verse 103 of, of the wind which sweet to his taste were all the words of truth, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And Peter speaks in 1 Peter chapter 2 of, of tasting that the Lord is gracious, the word of God. Hearing the voice of the one that we 
love. Sometimes in, in, in grief, that's one of the things we long to hear. If we could only but hear their voice because of the love that we have for them, even though they are, they are gone. And so it is for, for the child of God. We want to hear the voice of the Son of God. And when he speaks to us, it stirs up our hearts and reminds us of his beauty, especially in his precious word, the profession. What does the word of God mean to you? How precious is the word of God to you? What do you hear when you read the Bible? Do you come to it and do you hear the voice of Jesus say to you? Do you come to it and meet with God in it? Because it is where God's heart is made known to us. We read and we hear and we learn and Jesus is precious in it. The profession Secondly, there is a proclamation. And the proclamation is about what makes the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, what makes him special. And in the proclamation, there are two things. And the first of these is his humiliation. In other words, how far down he came from his throne to rescue his bride, to rescue the sinner. And verse 7 we read, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. The Bible tells us that God is love. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his son, the Bible tells us that Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. Everything about the way in which God deals with us has to do with his love. That spontaneous self-giving movement of the whole of his being that comes to lay hold of the object that is loved in order to, to pour of his whole being on that object to bring a self-sense of, of well-being and of goodness to change the circumstances and to bring pressure to that object. God loves the sinner. Jesus loved the sinner. There is that sense of unconditional and undeserving love in all that God does. But here... You, the beautiful one who speaks like no one else speaks, you loved righteousness and hated iniquity. And when I think of, of this king loving righteousness, he loves the will of God. Solomon, in the days of his glory, he was the wisest on the whole of the earth. He did the will of God. He served God in righteousness. And God blessed him for that. 
He loved to do the will of God. He had the book of the king and the book of the law and he loved to do all of these things. But Jesus, the servant king, he loved righteousness also by doing the will of God. But for him, doing the will of God and completing what God had given to him was a pathway to suffering in order to save. And righteousness for him was doing the very things that God set out for him in the plan of salvation to rescue and to deliver the sinner from the judgment of God and from the justice of God and for the justice of God requires. And so we, we think of the son loving righteousness and we think of him being obedient even to death, to death on a cross. We think of him as, as the, the righteous one that God describes in Isaiah chapter 53, the righteous one who is my servant. He will make many righteous because he shall bear their iniquities. He's the righteous sin bearer who will bring the gift of righteousness to those who are his children. He is the righteous one who is suffering and who is doing so for his people. And Jeremiah in chapter 23 speaks about the way in which God is going to raise up a branch from the house of David, a king, and he will reign and rule in righteousness, and his name shall be called the Lord is our righteousness. He loved righteousness. He hated iniquity. He was completely devoted to God. He was the absolute obedient servant. Not one thought was away from the purpose of God and the will of God. He was holy. He was harmless. There was no spot in him. Perfectly pure, perfectly holy, perfectly obedient every step that he took. And as he fulfilled everything, he came to give himself on Calvary's cross. He hated wickedness. Righteousness is covenant keeping. Wickedness is covenant breaking. He loved covenant keeping. It was his delight to do the will of God. And he hated covenant breaking as he came to save the covenant breakers. You loved righteousness and you hated wickedness. He is Jesus Christ the righteous according to John in 1 John 2. And when we think of the beauty of the servant king and when we think of looking at him and saying how beautiful you are and how beautiful are your words and then because he loved righteousness to the very end I hear the words again of Isaiah speak of the way in which how much his face was so marred that he was beyond human semblance to read that the form of his body was beyond that of the children of mankind 
I see his beauty being replaced in these moments or covered over in these moments with the most awful appearance of a human being that the world has ever known. And my estimation of him as the one who is most beautiful is now going to be impacted by the one who who has become for these moments the most ugly person that has ever been on the earth. And the marvellous thing is that when he came to take that place, unlike a human being, that that only enhanced his beauty. And that every scar on his body, every mark on his head, that all that happened to him on Calvary's cross made him even more beautiful still. That the King of glory came from heaven that he came to Calvary's cross to bear my sin, to bear the curse of my sin, to be so broken in his body. How beautiful is the Son of God when he comes to that state of humiliation and descends to that place where he rescues me from my sin. And for the true child of God tonight, you will certainly have come to appreciate that if Jesus is beautiful in his life, he is far more beautiful in his death because it is his life given over in death that makes him who he is. And so your profession that he is the most beautiful is based on what you hear from his words that proclaim him to be the one who died for sinners, who died for you. And that's the the great marvel that when he was most marred and scarred, that's when he is at his most beautiful. He loved righteousness. He hated wickedness. Robert Murray McChain, as you know, wrote the hymn Jehovah Sitkenu. And he goes through that whole hymn, showing from step to step, like tears from the daughters of Saul that roll. I wept when the waters went over his soul, yet thought not that my sins had nailed to the tree. Jehovah Sitkenu was nothing to me. When free grace awoke me, by light from on high, and legal fear shook me, I trembled to die. No refuge, no safety, and self could I see. Jehovah said, Can you, my Saviour must be. The Lord is a righteousness, my Saviour must be. And then he goes on to speak about the way in which he drinks at the fountain. My guilty fears banished. With boldness I came to drink at the fountain, life-giving and free. Jehovah said, Can you, the Lord of righteousness, is all things to me. The proclamation. He loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Is he all things to you? as the one who so loved righteousness. The humiliation that was followed with exhortation 
Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. If he came to the lowest point possible, he was raised, exalted to the highest place in the throne room of God. He is God's king. And because of the way that he lived, he is rewarded by God with the crown of glory and with the bride as, as, as his people. God anointed you with the oil of gladness more than anyone else. He is more beautiful than anyone else. And he is anointed more than anyone else. And when I read that in Acts chapter 2, that because of what he had done, that God gave him the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he is pouring down upon the people who are gathered at Pentecost. He is anointed, and his anointing is what makes him who he is. And in that anointing, there is an overflowing of the anointing and of the power of the Holy Spirit into the life of the people of God in this world. And that's the proclamation. He came from heaven and descended into the hell of the cross. He was resting in the tomb for three days. He was raised from the tomb into the glory of God. And from there, there is the breath, the life, the anointing of the Spirit of God that comes down and touches your life and mine. And it is when that connection is made and that Spirit of God comes to, to dwell in our hearts that everything opens. Our minds are enlightened and we have the profession and we have the proclamation. And finally, we can think of the participation. How can you be part of this marriage procession? How can this Saviour be yours? First of all, because of what Christ has done. In verse 2, at the end of it, Therefore God has blessed you forever. The blessing of God that speaks of new life, that speaks of children in this marriage. God said to Adam and Eve at the time of creation, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Go and fill this creation of mine with children that bear the image of God. Blessing is about empowering for, for, for seed and for generations and for children to be in the world. And God repeated the same declaration and promise to, to Noah after the flood. It is the purpose of God. And we read in, in Isaiah chapter 53 when, when Jesus is raised from the dead and when he is given this glory, he shall see his seed, he shall see his offspring, he shall see his children. God blessed you 
forever. The power that there is in Jesus now is the power of children creating, the power of Christian making, the power of church building. It's the power that brings new life where there is death. It's the power that raises you from the death of sin and the judgment of sin and raises you up to be the child of God. There is no other way of participating in, in this marriage and in this marriage celebration but through the blessing power of the Lord Jesus to make children. And when that blessing comes with the gospel, there is a requirement, there is a demand, there is a command. And the command we can think of in verse number 10, Hear, O daughter, and consider, and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king shall desire your beauty. Hear and consider. Take all of these things to heart. The things that you hear, the things that you see. Process all of these things intellectually. Understand what God has done through his king and what he is doing. Think through all of these things. Understand the theology of of what God has done in Christ and the life that there is now from Christ into a world that calls you to follow him. Consider all of these things and once you consider that, forget who you are, who you were. Confine that to the past. In the Old Testament, I remember things by bringing what's in the past into the present so that they're with me as if they are happening once more. Forgetting in the Old Testament is the opposite of that. It's taking what is now present and is casting them into the past behind me so that they never ever again come to interfere with my present. And it's that kind of life-changing decision and moment in your life that you're coming to put your trust in the Lord Jesus. It is the new creation from the side of God. From your side is all things have passed away. All things have become new. And only in that moment of considering and of forgetting can you come to to embrace and to fully participate in this procession in this world where God is gathering his people and is bringing his church. Prepare them for his glory. And then the king will desire your beauty. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. The king is unsurpassably beautiful. But once you forget, once you follow, once you have faith, then the king will say about you, you are so beautiful. In the estimation of God, 
as far as humankind is concerned, there is no beauty like the beauty of seeing a lost sinner coming from their lostness to embrace the Lord Jesus and to give a life of discipleship and of service, trusting in the Lord and serving faithfully with a life devoted to God, to the Lord Jesus and to the Word of God. Participation. How about that? How about considering How about forgetting tonight your father's says, forgetting the things that belong to a sinful life? How about forgetting and coming to embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior? And then there is nothing like in this life God looking down upon us in Christ and saying to us that we are beautiful. And we know we aren't. But the love of God is such that he sees us as beautiful when we trust in his Son. And tonight may that be the way in which we see the Lord Jesus as more beautiful than anyone else. And may we come to the place where God looks down upon us and declares that we are also beautiful because we believe in his Son. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, how great a God you are. How little we see of your glory and of your beauty. We give thanks to you for every glimpse of it that persuades us in our hearts that there is no one like you. And we pray that a glimpse of that tonight would encourage us and strengthen us along life's way and enable us to go forward day by day knowing that we belong to you, knowing that you delight in us and enabling us day by day to walk faithfully and to love righteousness ourselves, to hate wickedness and to live a life that is pleasing to you. Hear our prayer and accept us for Jesus' sake. Amen.